Let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you brought us here to, to see you, to hear your word. Lord, that is our desire, really, to know you more. And uh, we ask that you would speak to us, speak to us through your word today. And all God's people said, Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy. And we're going to be looking at chapter 6. We're only going to look at a handful of verses today. And we're looking at the second part I call the man of God. We're looking at verses 13 through 16. Uh, But before I start, um, I'd like to share that, you know, why you may not see it or you may see bits of it. We're in the end of the end times. I don't predict date. But in a time that they call a time of apostasy. Apostasy, I've been talking about it off and on. We'll, we'll really deal with it when we get into Second Timothy. But one of the reasons I want to bring it up today is because there are many professing Christians professing that they believed in Christ for many years in a walking away from Christ. Apostasy or apostate is one who has this mental assent, they know who God is, maybe they've attended church, done things in the name of God, and walks away, and oftentimes when they walk walk away, they walk away in bitterness. Um, A man named John Cooper um, of the band Skillet, which is a very popular band, known band, has won all kinds of awards, has now said that he's come to the knowledge of the truth and he's left Christ. These are things that we will see an increasing in this time. The Bible is very clear that the, the, the wheat and the tear grow side by side. You cannot tell the difference. The tear is what they call darnell. It's identical until the time of harvest. And there are many views, what I'm going to say next. And uh, one time I believe this, and the next time I, I don't know if I believe that. And, and that is that judgment, the Scripture is very clear, starts with the house of God. And I believe that God in, is, is starting to purify the church. There are many that profess Jesus Christ, but never have possessed a relationship with him. That's important to understand. It's not enough to come to church, to give a tithe, even to go to a prayer meeting, if you do not know him. You can sing all the songs you want and lifting up the Lord, but if you do not know him. Now there's a knowing him, the demons know him, but they're not saved. People can know about him, say the right words, and walk away. If you truly know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will never walk away from him. In fact, the scripture says you're kept by the power of God until that day. And that's a hope. The scripture also goes on to say elsewhere that, that you are to make your election sure, to make sure that you know that you're saved. It's not enough to say, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. But you must know that your faith is real. 
But one of the ways that you'll find that your faith is real is when you go through trials and storms in life. And all of us will go through them. If you're not going through one now, guess what? You're going to be going through one very quickly. That's just how it is. James says, consider all joy when you encounter various trials. Knowing the test in your faith produces endurance, let endurance have that perfect work. And if anyone lack wisdom, let him ask, and God will give to him generously, without reproach. Trials, storms is where you find out your faith is real. Because you wake up in the middle of the storm and you realize that not only is your faith real, but you are kept by His power. And you can do nothing but praise Him. I say that because you will see more and more apostasy. We're seeing in the mainline, mainline churches are going away and, and just leaving sound biblical doctrine. It should grieve our hearts. We should be praying. God, open up the hearts of those of the body of Christ that are only professors. But they would possess that relationship with you, that they would be born again. And in the last two years, there's been numerous amount of people that have great influence, that people believe are believers, and they walk away, and that influence is taking a group of people away from the body of Christ. And we need to pray. Pray first for your, for your own self, for your families, and God would be glorified. Well, turn with me to, again, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 13 through 16. We're going to balance a little bit more today. We're going to go through the text, but I'm going to explain it because it's a, a different kind of text. But notice what it says in verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things of, and of Jesus Christ who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is blessed, the only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Adolfo's not in here. He's in the other class there. But always when we see that word, amen, from the amen choir, so be it. Because that's what amen means. So be it. We have three more weeks, or actually this, this week and two more weeks in the, in the book of Timothy. There, it is packed with information that is encouraging and challenging each of us in our own faith. Now, the one thing that we're going to see here or a series of things that, that we know that the man of God knows is God personally that every believer is have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, that you know that He is real and that He's with you 
and He'll never leave you or forsake you. No matter what you're going through, He's there to stabilize you. He's the one that's in control of the outcome of the trial you're going through. He's the one that will strengthen you and encourage you. He's the one that will allow the trial to go on, even turn up the temperature sometimes, but uses that to make you stronger and more real, your relationship with, and know that that relationship is the most important thing in life. Now today, you may be one who is growing in the Lord Jesus Christ and you don't feel like it. Have you ever just felt like you just, I don't get it, I just, I'm not growing. But then someone comes up to you and says, you know what, I, I like what God's doing in your life. It's always obvious to those around you, those that know you. We, we want that instant change. It's subtle. And he's changing you. and He's molding you and shaping the way you think. And others see that and respond. And when we talk about this man of God, and it, it could be a woman of God, but it's a, a person who has dedicated, committed themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and made him the Lord of their life. He or she are going to function in a certain way and think in a certain way, but with their own personality. Each one of us are unique and each one of us are special. Knowing God is probably, and knowing Him in an intimate personal relationship is probably the, the most important and the greatest force, think about this, of keeping you go through a trial and a storm, a death, because you have a hope, a hope that the world doesn't have. With that said, I'm going to ask you a question. If you were to die, or a family member would die, do you know for sure that you will see them again? This is a very important question. Do you know for sure that you will see him? There's a story of a, a lady who had been blind all of her life. She was a Christian lady. A man went up to her and he simply said, you know, I, I'm so sorry that you're blind. You've never seen a, a rainbow. You've never seen the beautiful mountains or the ocean. And she says, I don't have a disability. While you see all of these things, I know one day the first thing that I will see when I get to heaven is Jesus Christ sitting on the throne. There could be nothing more important than seeing Him. The first thing that I ever see. And she looked to that hope, and it's that hope that will drive you down that road day in, day out whatever you're going through in life. And those loved ones that are in your life, they need to know those same situation that He is there. He has that power, the love, to keep you until that day. There's where the peace comes that passeth all understanding. Knowing that one day you will see Him face to face. You'll be in a world where there's no sin, no pain, no sorrow. A world that you and I cannot imagine 
now. As I said many times before, the best is yet to come. Psalm 19, verse 1 through 14, I'm going to read. It's not on the screen. But listen as I read. The heavens are declaring the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. The voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as the bridegroom coming of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and is a circuit to the other end of them. There is nothing hid from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect in restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure in making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord, they're right in rejoicing the heart. And the commandment of the Lord is pure in enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean and is enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and they're righteous altogether. They're more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is a great reward. Who can discern his heirs and acquit me of hidden faults? Also keep back your servant from the presumptuous sins, and let them not rule over them. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of transgression. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable to you in your sight, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. The psalmist, so often when you read the psalms, paint these beautiful pictures, and, and that's kind of what we call the Eastern mind. They, they see everything in pictures. But you and I, why we may not be a, a prolific writer or something, should be able to magnify the Lord in our mind, in our sight, when we look up at His creation, look around at His creation. Praise Him. Awareness that He is wherever you go. He is there. I remember going to a cemetery outside town um, and walking through and just the tombstones one time. I was going to do a funeral later on in the afternoon. And I went and I wanted to pray and I started reading headstones. And you could tell those who are believers and those who are not believers. And as I began to pray, as I went through, why I did not hear God's voice audible, I'm looking for that one day, I knew that He was speaking. As I went through that cemetery, looking at one headstone after another, assuring me that one day I will not be in the ground, but I will be in His presence in His presence is fullness of joy. See, God wants you to know Him personally. Oftentimes we have this head knowledge. 
we can quote all the different things about him. But that assurance that he's with you in the darkest of places. Our text is, is interesting today because we're going to focus again upon the character of God. And how I long to, which I'm not today, do a doctrinal study of the characters of God. But in our text, briefly, we'll look at a few of those. We'll see the power of God, the invincibility of God, the blessedness of God, the sovereignty of God, the eternity of God. See, you're here to know God. And it's your heart just as, as you're worshiping, your spirit that is to be connecting with Him. And as we look at the Word, if you're worshiping in spiritual, that is not just singing. That's connecting as you study the Word. You should understand and in your heart praise Him and thank Him for revealing Himself in the way that He did. Because God wants to reveal himself, not just today, but every day that you read the Word of God. Every day that you walk through life with him, he is there. Well, again, let's look at the power of God. That's in verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. Well, we did this verse last week, looking at it a little differently, and we looked at this confession when Jesus stood right before Pontius Pilate and says, I am the truth. I am a king. I have come. This is the reason I've come, that you would know the truth, and the truth would set you free. But as we look closer, notice what it says again, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. He is the giver of life. He has that ability to give life. In fact, in Adam and Eve, God breathed into them and they became living spirits. If you've been born again, the Spirit of God has come in your life and He's living in you, changing you, transforming you gently, lovingly, tenderly, never forceful. But he's there. You either yield your spirit to him or you'll quench that spirit. The choice is yours. Well, there's four aspects I want to call your attention to. And while it's not in that individual text, because I'm only pulling, again, this ability, but I want to call your attention to Genesis 1.1. Now, the the phrase refers here again to, to God as the creator of all things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke these things we know into existence, and he spoke them out of nothing into something. I heard a man once say, I want to understand the deeper things of God. And his whole desire in his relationship was to speak things into existence. The deepest things of God is that he would choose you and me to be a child of God and that he would die upon the cross for you and me and pay the price we could never pay. 
How could He love us? We are but dust, the Scripture describes. Dirt balls. Yet He set His love upon us. Now again, as I mentioned here, He created all things. He spoke things into existence. And Colossians on the screen says, 1.16, For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He created you for His good pleasure. He finds pleasure. He finds joy. He finds peace in you, even when you're a stinker. You know what I mean by that? He still loves you. He knows that He's began that work in you. He knows one day He's going to finish that work in you. He knows the worst thing that you have ever done or will do, but He still loves you. And He would have died upon the cross if you were the only one. He still would have died. He set His love upon you. Notice Romans 1.25. Now talking about apostates here. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Apostate, again, knows the facts about God, but he chooses to walk away. He chooses never to trust and rest in Him, in the One that created and spoke all things into existence. And secondly, God sustains all life. Colossians again, one seventeen says, He is before all things. That means He's preeminent. And in Him all things hold together. I don't understand it. I read some things about it. But by His Word, everything is held together. All the atoms and everything are held together. If He would just take back His Word, everything would just explode. He's the one that sustains this building, the life that we're in. Even when He was here on earth, not in heaven. He's the one that has created the laws of gravity and all these laws that nature functions by. He is the sustainer of the universe. He's the the source of perpetual motion. His creation is still moving out into outer spaces. If you took a, a roll of carpet and you kicked it and continued to roll out, it's still being revealed, still expanding. And He is the source of all of that. What's interesting is He sustains. He, in the sustaining, He limits the things that happen in our life. And this is very hard for you and I to understand, but when we see the massive earthquakes, the tsunamis, the plagues, the floods, the cosmic disturbances. While He allows it because we're in this fallen world, He limits how far the enemy can go. And what He does allow, the Scripture is very clear, it says He uses it for the good. 
And when we tend to have a fault with it, we don't understand that the problem is not with God because he is perfect. He's a God of love. He uses it for good. He uses it to reveal himself. Notice again in Hebrews 1, 3 on the screen, and he is the radiance of the glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. You know there's power in the word of God? There is power. Not that we just take his word, whip it out everywhere, and use it as a sword. And yes, it's a sword of the Spirit. But when he speaks, there is a power, and that power is in you. And the Holy Spirit takes that word of God that's in you and uses it to change you and transform you, put desires in your heart that maybe you haven't had before to accomplish and do his good will. His word is powerful. The most powerful thing that I say today is when I read the word of God and you look at it and you surrender to the Holy Spirit. He speaks and his powerful words sustain life. So many of the scientists that were for evolution for a long time are moved away because they believe that there's this this universe is designed by someone, yet they still can't acknowledge God. They know the perfect design. It's, it's unexplainable. Just out of nothing it would happen. But God. They see the order of life. The third thing when we talk about, again, this ability he has, God protects his own. Think for a moment. Have you ever been driving the car and all of a sudden you're in an accident? And if you would have moved over just two or three feet to avoid a certain situation, you would have went down an embankment and you didn't even know the embankment was there. Or someone or something in your mind caused you to hit the brakes when there's no reason to hit the brakes. Psalm 37, 28 says this, The Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever. But the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. He will keep you until that day it's time to go home. He preserves you. He's working. He is a personal, intimate God, and he is here today with you. God with us, Emmanuel. But where that begins is very important. It begins right here in your own heart, in your own mind, knowing that he is here. Anticipating and expecting that God is going to meet you here and he's going to speak to you through something that is said today that he's going to change you and transform you. There's his part and your part. He came that you might have life and have it more abundantly The abundant life only comes when we surrender to him, when we recognize his hand upon our life, his presence with us. Do you realize what this says? This means that the Lord loves justice. And he's keeping justice for the saints. 
eternally secure. You are kept until that day. Every true believer is kept until that day. When you understand that, that there's this perfect peace in your heart, there's this calmness that you begin and I begin to surrender to him more and more every day. How, how could I not want to surrender to him when my life is in his very hands? No one can snatch you out of the hand of God. Isn't that a wonderful thought when you think about it? What I mean by all this is God can never violate the very nature of who He is. When you're saved, it's done. But you're being saved. And He's still continuing to work in your life. That's the Holy Spirit. When the wrath is being poured out upon this world, the unbelieving world, you will be saved from that time. See, these things, when you begin to think about these things, you think about God, just stop sometime and just think upon Him and meditate upon Him. He'll begin to speak in ways that you have never, ever imagined. The next verse is, is really a very precious verse to me when I stop and think about it. Let me show you why I say that. Matthew 10, verse 29 and 31, it says, Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the Father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear, you are more valuable than the sparrows. That doesn't compute to unbelievers because they're so worried about saving the animals in some way, and I think that we should be wise stewards of our environment. Man is becoming an endangered species in this world. He's destroying himself, just as God said they would. But he knows the hairs on your head or the hairs got there. He knows. He knows everything that's important to you, how big or how little. And what he's saying is he cares about you. When I understand that God is the one who protects me, there's something that happens within me. Let me show you Psalm 54, 6. It rings so true in my own life. In God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid what can mere man do to me? Those words are powerful. They, when we begin to take those and think about what it's really saying, God, you're here, you care so much for me. Why do I worry about what others are thinking or acting or, or what's going to go on? I should be able to walk through this life knowing that I am His and He will keep me until that day. Fourth thing is the most wonderful feature in this realm when you stop and think about it. God's ability to give life to all. To all is seen in His power to raise the dead to live eternally. John eleven twenty five through 27. Notice what it says. And Jesus said to her, remember Lazarus is in the tomb at this time, Mary and Martha, I'm, a, I'm the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live even if he dies. 
And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into this world. He says, I am the the resurrection and life. This is very important to understand what we're saying, these things, because so many believers are walking away because they don't know who God is and His hand is upon their life. See, they've never come into that, that personal relationship. They never come to the Bible and say, God, show me who you are. Reveal yourself to me what I'm reading. We come to the Bible, well, I've got to read five chapters a day. I'm going to say, don't, don't worry about how many chapters you read. Read with the intent to hear God speak to you, to speak to your heart. Read until he speaks. And then listen and ponder on what he says to you. Because his words are life. Certainly, Paul understood that very well. In fact, he said in Philippians 1.21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul was so assured. To to be absent this body is to be present with the Lord. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.8. He says, we are of good courage. I say, prefer rather to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Paul knew the better thing was to go and be with the Lord. There are those who profess to be believers. Well, I don't want the Lord to come today. You know, I want him to come when he's going to come. I'm going to say this would be a great time for him to come when I'm sitting here teaching his word. There's some, some things I don't want him to come when I'm... Yeah, we won't go there. You understand what I'm saying? He will come right on time. And you will see him. And you will be changed and transformed. Apostate doesn't really compute or understand these things or even think about these things. Now keep that in mind. When we get into Second Timothy's, we go down the road. But for the believer, we, again, we have a hope that the world does not have. Verse 14, we see the invincibility of God that, that you keep the commandment without stain and reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about in that proper time. You remember Acts 1, 11, they also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky and Jesus who's been taken up from here to heaven will come in the, just the same way that you watched him go. And the disciples, there was some still maybe an unbelief at this point. And they see him just slowly float up. Wouldn't that be amazing to see that? He's going to come back in the same way. And when he comes back, you and I, that is the believers, will be with him. We're the crowd of witnesses we are the glory of god the believers because the work will be finished in you and me and we will come back amazing they 
saw it and they would come to, to know the importance. Again, just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then the, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky and with power and great glory. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with them, then he will sit on his glorious throne. You know what's interesting about this? I'm going to call your attention to two things there. First of all, the, the coming of the Son of Man and then the sign of the Son of Man. You know, the Son of Man in the book of Matthew was a favorite term that was used of Jesus Christ. Spoken in the Old Testament, it would be the Messiah would coming. Do you know what this is all about? This is about Israel. The church will not be here other than coming back with him. Remember, the Jews look for a sign. And this sign is really for those Jewish ones that become believers. It's at the end of the tribulation when all these things happen, and you and I come back and the Lord is going to judge. We can have perfect peace knowing that we've already been caught up to be with it. We've been to the, the Bema seat where we'll be rewarded. We'll be at the, the Lamb's feast for seven years. Boy, that will be a feast, won't it? But then we'll come back and He will put evil down. Again, Romans 8.19 says, For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Again, it's so important that even creation. Now, the man's looking. You know, the, many of the Jewish people are looking for their Messiah to come. He came to their own. They received him not. We know that's in, in the, uh, again, Gospel of John. But if you were to, to be in Jerusalem now, and let's say this is the Temple Mount. It's up higher. The Mount of Olives, you're sitting on the Mount of Olives. Let's say every seat would represent a tomb. It's a large stone. They're kind of buried above ground. And just as you would be there, if everyone laid back, don't lay back into somebody else. But anyways, if you're laying back, when they believe, this is important to understand, and the Messiah comes, he's going to land upon the Mount of Olives. It's going to split in half. And every Jewish person who is laying there is going to be like this. They're going to pop straight up and walk and follow the Messiah in. But there's one problem. The East Gate has been filled. Because they don't want him to come back. Not the Jewish, but Islam. But that is not going to stop our king from coming in. He is coming back and nothing will stop him. 1 John 3, 2. This is, this is so important because it says, Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not appeared what, yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears... We shall be like him because we will see him just as he is. That instant transformation. The work is done. First Corinthians, again, 
1 Corinthians 15 is a great chapter, whether you remember just to look it up and read it from time to time. I remember the whole chapter, but it's, it's called the resurrection chapter. In fact, if you start 1 Corinthians 15 in the first um, you know, five verses that give you the gospel message, you want to share with somebody, perfect place. But in the very end of, again, 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to start at verse 53 and follow what it says. For this perishable must put on imperishable, this mortal must put on immortality. When this perishable will put on imperishable, the mortal will have put on immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is the sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing can stop him. And if you're saved, you will be saved. Nothing can hinder him. A.W. Pink put it this way, the realization of the invincibility of eternal counsels of God gives calmness, poise, courage, perseverance, which nothing else can. My Savior, He is a Savior. And nothing can stop Him. Well, look with me in, in verse 15. We see the blessedness of God. He who is blessed. Well, it's, it's beginning with this phrase. Uh, Paul launches into this magnificent doxology. See, each phrase, it's important to understand, expresses something transcendent, incomparable, or just the greatness of God. Now, in, in this case here, the, the blessedness, it means simply content. Think for a second. How often are you during the week just content? Just have perfect peace. Nothing rocking your boat. No worries. No fears. Don't turn the TV on the news. Perfect content. He is content. He's in perfect control. He knows on the right time, He's coming. He's the God of peace. He knows that He will fulfill every Scripture. And He's perfectly joyful. Fruit of the Spirit, one of them is joy. It's the evidence of love in the heart. That is our Lord. The word just simply means happy, content, or in this sense, fulfilled. Life is fulfilling. Life sometimes, it's a bummer, if we're honest. Man, I'm tired of seeing the evil in this world. I'm tired of seeing that, that people within the body of Christ being tossed and turned every wind of doctrine. Tired of seeing people profess Jesus Christ and then walk away. And it really can get us worked up. But Jesus knows the outcome. And He's in control. And the problem is you and I are out of control. Look with me in Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. How blessed is a man who takes refuge. That idea, oh, taste and see the Lord is good, it's speaking of that relationship. 
Come to the Lord. Encourage yourself in the Lord. David had to learn to encourage himself in the Lord when depression comes in and things are going wrong. Get in the Word. There are are verses that will just strengthen you, encourage you, and make you cry with tears of joy and laughter and peace. These are all things that God would have happen in your life, but we, we grow and we mature. Some of us grow faster and others. Some grow in this area a little more and some in this little area, but one day we will understand it perfectly together. Matthew 16, 16 through 17, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Arjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this but my Father who is in heaven. Happy is the one that knows that Jesus is the Christ and that he's come and he's coming again and that you and I will see him face to face. You will not have to wait in eternity to speak to him. You can speak to him now. And when you talk to him, it means you need to take time to listen and learn to listen and let him speak to you. Psalm 128.1 says, How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his way, or or this one who fears it walks in reverence. There's peace. Look at those that are walking. It's obvious when you're looking at them, they're walking closer and closer with the Lord. There's such a peace that flows from them. But something happens as you walk with the Lord longer and longer. You learn just to let God deal with this and deal with this. You learn when there's a time to pick and choose your battles wisely and some things you just don't get involved. And you're happy. You don't let someone rock your life or rob you of joy no matter how bad it is. Well, let's look at the sovereignty of God. Only, verse 15, only a sovereign or the king of kings, the Lord of lords. It's interesting. It's been said only a sovereign. He's only sovereign because he is the only true God. Deuteronomy 6, 4, part of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Well, we know God is Trinity. He's triune, manifest himself in three persons, but they're one. That means everything the Father is, the Son is. Everything the Son is, the Spirit is. Perfect harmony. You don't find that anywhere. You won't find it here today. Again, knowing that he is in control. He's sovereign. Romans 13.1 says this, Every person is to be subjected to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except for from God, and those which exist are established by God. People don't like to hear that. You know why? Because if you go back, no matter what your political view is, I'm just going to say a few facts. Obama was in the office because God willed it. Trump is in the office because God willed it. It doesn't mean that we don't have the responsibility to vote, but God is in control, and these pieces are coming together to fulfill the end times. There's a whole study. That's why I say I'd like to 
teach on doctrine one day because he could spend a whole time just on the sovereignty of God and explaining how that is. We saw again that Jesus spoke all things into who um, were created. Well, think again in Matthew 8, verses 1 through 4. It's not on the screen, but think for a second. It, it, Matthew 8 and 9 focuses on miracles. Presents Jesus as a, the king of the Jews, but he also had the, the power of a king. It's there in Matthew 8 that Jesus cleansed the leper. He has power to cleanse leprosy. Leprosy is also a picture of sin. He can forgive sins. He can heal a person like that. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13, we see the centurion. And again, his, his servant, a long ways away, Jesus spoke and said that he was healed. Sovereign God who can speak things into existence, heal the, the leper. He doesn't need to be there to lay a hand upon. People want us to lay hands upon him, and I have no problem with it. But you know what? God heals at a distance. Verses 14 through 17. Jesus touched Peter's mother-in-law instantly. The sickness went away. He has power over sickness, infection. If he chooses to heal it, it's gone. I've seen these things before. You've probably seen these things before or heard of them. But remember, these were signs to authenticate that he was the Messiah while he still does miracles today. And then in Matthew 8, verses 28 through 34, you remember that he cast the demons out of a, out of a, a man that was being tormented by it. He has the power over all the demo, demonic realm. He's all-powerful, sovereign. He also, again, cast or allowed them to go into the pigs who went off the cliff. See, the devil can do nothing against you unless God will allow it. And oftentimes we're, we're blaming things upon the devil. They have nothing to do with the devil. They're really sometimes our own foolish choices. Job, again, was... Again, the Satan was limited what he could allow to go against Job. God is sovereign control. Matthew twenty two twenty one says this, and they said to him, Caesar. Then he said to him, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things are God. Now it was talking about paying the taxes, but there's something that you need if you have not done today. Give on to God what is God's. What is it that you have that is God's? It's your heart. God wants your heart. He wants you 24 hours a day. He wants you to know that He knows you and that He loves you with an everlasting love. Well, let's look at the eternity of God. Verse 16 who alone possesses, again, immortality. Again, it's interesting, once again, the apostle, he's countering the cults. When we looked at this verse earlier at another time, that the emperor worship. But it's God alone who possesses this immortality. The phrase describes God's eternity or eternal God. 
He alone possesses. In fact, Psalm 90, verse 2 says, Before the mountains were born, you gave birth to the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. How did the psalmist know that? The psalmist spent time with the Lord, getting to know the Lord and looking and hearing the Lord speak. I'm going to ask you a question. I don't want hands. Have you ever heard God speak to you? It will come as a, mostly as an impression upon your heart. If you have not heard from God today, there's two reasons why. Either you're, you've never been born again or you simply will not take the time to listen and let him speak. And this is, is, is really the seed of all this personal relationship is, is hear him and know him. When he begins to speak, you will want more and more and more of him because he is so satisfying. Micah 5.2 says this, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth from me to be a ruler of Israel, and his going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So Christ comes out of eternity. In fact, in Isaiah 48.12 and 16, we'll look at both. Listen to me. This is God speaking. Listen to me, O Jacob. This is Israel's a nation. Jacob is already passed away, but the idea is Jacob it was a heel catcher. And they're, again, in disobedience to God. They're in a carnal situation, let's call it. Backslidden. O Jacob, even Israel, Israel meaning governed by God, whom I called, I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. This is the one that was at the burning bush when Moses stood there. I am. And then verse 16, he says this, Come near to me. Almost I could hear him whisper. From the first I have not spoken a secret. From the time it took place, I was there. Now the Lord God, referring to the Father, has sent me and his Spirit. You see the Trinity there. It's so important. He is a sovereign God. He's the only God. And He is here today. He's here with you wherever you go. Well, look with me in verse 16. We see the holiness of God. He dwells in the unapproachable light whom no man can see or will see. Look what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 104, verses 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You have clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a cloak, stretching out the heaven like a tent. The idea is when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were covered with this brilliant light. The Spirit is light. Spirit is illumination. But the order was reversed. See, we're body, soul, and spirit inside. It was reversed just the opposite of that. When they spiritually died in the garden that day, the spirit was gone. Then they realized they were naked. The first thing you'll see is the spirit of God. Yet within that spirit, God exists. In Exodus 33, 19 through 20, and he said, I myself will make my goodness pass before you and proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show compassion upon whom I show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. 
God's holiness is inaccessible in this lifetime. He cannot allow sin in His presence, but through Jesus Christ, we will have access and we will have it forever. Well, in closing, He says, to Him be honor, eternal dominion. It's interesting. What is eternal life? John 17, 3 and 5 says this. This is eternal life that you may know you. The only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. That's it. Know Him. The question is, do you really know Him? Hebrews says something. This is in 13, verse 6. So that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? See, if you know Him in this life, you will not fear man. I'm not going to say that you won't be startled, a little mouse run through the house and you'll get scared. Yeah. But you will not have the fear that man experiences in his life. But those who do not know Him, when I've done funerals for an unbeliever, there's a fear for the family. There is a fear. But for the believer, there is peace. Because they know they will see their family, their friends, again. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your love and we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for really who You are, what You've done, how You reveal Yourself in creation as we saw, but You reveal Yourself in Your Word through the Psalms and so many different Scriptures. And Lord, there's so much to say about You. Lord, we ask that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know You, that You would just open up their hearts, make Your presence so known that you'd impart your, your, your strength, your grace, your compassion, your love, that you would give them the assurance that, that you are with them, that you'll never leave them or forsake them. In Jesus' name, amen.